You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming, and Liam Curley. I'm back in the hot seat today, Curls. How do you feel about that? I feel better about it, actually. I didn't like being in that seat. Really? Uh, Why? Come on. Well, I can, I can. when I'm sat in this seat, I can poke at you a little bit more and uh, just mm. throw in remarks and then step back out. That's true, yeah. It's a lot more comfortable. So, Fair enough, yeah, mate. I feel, that great, makes I feel great about it, actually. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're here as my partner in crime. Today, we're joined by someone that we both know quite well, and this episode is titled The Construction Knowledge Gap. We're joined by Gregor Harvey, who is co-founder of Designing Buildings, formerly Designing Buildings Wiki. Welcome to the show, Gregor. Hi, hi everybody. Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here. Hello, Gregor. Very happy to have you on the show, Gregor. Where, where are you today? Uh, I am... In Scotland, so I'm on my island, in, well, it's not my island, on an island in Scotland. Oh! Um, but we do have full fibre broadband connectivity, so we were the first island in Scotland to get it. Um, yeah, and I'm looking out over a beach and the sea and some mountains, so it's very nice. Excellent. And so I'm guessing business is really good now that you've purchased an island. <laughs> <laughs> I purchased a tiny bit of it, and business is remarkably similar to how it was when I was living in Clapham. To be, to be honest, it's just you know the view is better. I can only I can only imagine. Well, it's really great pleasure to have you on the show, Gregor. We've been talking for a long time now, but can you introduce yourself and talk about what it is that you do, what's your experience in the industry, and what you now do with your business? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm actually an architect, um, but I, I've not really done a lot of architecture recently I've tended to work as a project manager and a troubleshooter and I've worked for uh, a few big multidisciplinary companies and I've worked some big projects and some small projects but what was apparent through all of them was that every time we started a new project and I'm sure you've experienced this we started it with a blank piece of paper as if nobody had ever done a project before. Um, and we create all our new systems and new templates and new forms and new everything. And we'd make all the same mistakes that everybody's made before. And then we'd finish the project, team would disband, we'd start a new project with another blank piece of paper. Um, and this seemed a bit crazy. So myself and um, a guy called David Trench, who's a very well-known project manager, decided it would be a good idea if we created a place where everybody could go and share their knowledge about how to do things. Because basically projects are repetitive. You know, you go through the same series of things in the same sort of order, got to comply with the same regulations. They're quite predictable things. And if we all just shared what we knew about how to do them, then nobody would ever make a mistake ever again. Um, so in 2012, Ooh. well, that was, the, that was the hope. In 2012, we created um, this open access wiki site, which is, is free to use. And it's now got 13,000 articles on it. And we get about eight and a half million users a year. So that makes it the most popular construction industry website in the UK. 
it is an absolutely amazing resource for content. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And I think perhaps anyone listening has probably been on it, even if unwittingly, I think, because it is when you're searching for construction terms and construction jargon, et cetera, on, on Google, you will be coming through to uh, designing buildings and you've built an amazing uh, tool and it's really, really great. I saw that your mission was to put all construction industry knowledge in one place and make it available to everyone for free. And I think that is an absolutely amazing uh, approach. If I think back to when I started in construction as a trainee QS when I was 18, straight out of school, I remember being in the office, I was working for a curtain walling company, and I remember people saying stuff like birdcage scaffold and cantilevered scaffold and mullions and transoms. And obviously, at the time, didn't have a clue what anyone was talking about. And I actually, rather sadly, perhaps, created a Word document and saved it on the desktop of my computer. And it was a glossary of all of these terms about which I had no idea what they were. So I thought, okay, that's what a birdcage scaffold is. And I'd write it down just so I knew even the jargon, let alone then how you actually build out a project. So it's, I can totally see why you want to share that knowledge. And uh, I think you've done a great job of it so far. So the industry has got 2 million people all doing exactly that, not understanding things, finding out, writing them down, creating their own explanations. And if we all just shared that stuff, then we wouldn't have to do it. You know, one person could do it once and that would be it done. Um, I mean, even just things like acronyms, you know, we've got, we've listed nearly 4,000 different acronyms now in the industry. And, um, you know, it's so confusing. I think we've got about eight for PC. You know, the scope for error and you thinking you mean one thing when you say PC and somebody else thinking you're talking about something completely different is enormous. For so, PC, yeah, as really in practical completion. Or, or various other things, you know. What, what are the various other things? Private car. Private car? <laughs> There's loads and loads and loads <laughs> of PCs. Yeah, you ever heard private car, PC? Really? Yeah, go and look them up. There's loads of PCs. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm calling... Prime contractor. I'm call oh, yeah, principal contractor. God, there is a... We've just solved for three, haven't we? I call PC practical completion. That's, that's my view on life, but... We'll, we'll stick with that, then. I'll, I'll delete all the others. <laughs> You're a, you're a star, Gregor. You're an absolute star. So I'm going to wind back the clock here a little bit, Gregor, to an event that you very kindly invited me to um, a few years ago. And it was in the Cheese Grater, I think at, um, in central London. And it was a seminar that you were hosting. And it was sharing your findings of the Fit for Purpose report about the construction knowledge gap. Can you tell us what your findings were at that time? Yeah, so we've been um, running Designing Buildings, um, the wiki site, for about five years at that point, and we realised that we've been generating an enormous amount of data about what people were looking at, how they were looking at it, what sort of things people were writing about, all that sort of stuff. So we decided to do a concerted bit of research into it to see what it could tell us. And it told us all sorts of things, like the difference between what different age groups look at and differences between the sexes and um, all sorts of really inter interesting stuff. But the most striking thing was the difference between what people write about and what people read about. And um, the industry on the whole, pe people that write tend to be professional writers, not practitioners. And they write about things that they've been trained to write about. So they write about quite academic subjects. So they write about 
theory and history and um, you know sustainability and case studies and news things that they're comfortable writing about compare that with what people read about people read about answers they want to know how to do stuff and it's all really really practical things they want to know how to run a contract they want to know how to appoint somebody how to design something they want to know construction techniques and that isn't what the industry is providing them with in terms of knowledge and that got us into thinking about the whole kind of whole knowledge sphere and was the industry serving as well with it and when you think that knowledge you know, it's vital for the for everybody in the industry. It tells us how to do things, how to do things better, how not to do things. It tells us how to comply with regulations. It tells us how to maintain our competence, all sorts of things. It's crucial. And when you realize how important it is, you then begin to compare it with information. So if you compare the way that we handle knowledge with the way that we handle information on projects now, so BIM has transformed the way that we handle information. So we've got things like Uniclass and IFC and Kobe being introduced, and we've all got new hardware and software so we can run Revit. There's been lots of new training and systems and new roles invented just so that we handle information better on projects. If you look then at what we've done with knowledge during that time, the answer is nothing. We haven't digitized it. We haven't standardized it. We haven't introduce software or hardware or until new, designing buildings yeah nothing at all and that's you know it's kind of baffling really that, that we've got into that um, position so that that's um seminar led into this whole you know um rabbit hole that i've gone down um looking at knowledge and the way that we deal with it and have you got out of it yet i'm still in it and um <laughs> you know it's campaigning on knowledge to try and get it taken up the agenda in the same way that BIM has taken information up the agenda. That's, that's it's a really interesting comparison between BIM and then information and knowledge. When we talk about the knowledge gap, it's, it's a very broad, generic term. What do you actually mean when you think of the knowledge gap? What is it that is ringing alarm bells in your mind? I guess um, it's just so much that we do with knowledge is just left up to luck. You know, it's hope for the best. Somebody publishes something somewhere and we hope that somebody somewhere else will happen to know about it and find it and be able to access it and maybe have to pay for it and then read it and understand it and have access to all of the other things they need to understand it and apply it and apply it correctly and hopefully somebody checks that they've applied it correctly. That is an enormous amount to just hope for. And we wouldn't dream of doing that with information. With information, now it's quite strictly defined who produces it, what they're producing it for, what they're supposed to be producing it for, who gets access to it. All of that stuff is, is defined. Knowledge, we just kind of, you know, hope for the best. And when you think about how important it is and the potential consequences of getting it wrong, using the wrong knowledge or not even knowing that something exists at all, it's kind of you know, baffling. And there's there's nobody takes responsibility for it. So there's nobody in the industries in charge of knowledge. There's loads of people that think they're driving BIM, but nobody does knowledge. Yeah. So with knowledge, are you then trying to take control of who is driving it and be the flag bearer or the standard effectively for construction knowledge? 
it's not something I can do by myself. It's something that there needs to be a, a whole um, coalition of interested parties that work on this and drive it up the agenda. Um, and we've created a task group to begin to to start to do that. But it, you know, it's a fundamental systematic problem in the industry that isn't very well recognised. Although we're all aware of the consequences of it, we all know that people make mistakes that they shouldn't be. We all know that research doesn't get adopted. We all know innovations don't get adopted. We all know there's a huge productivity gap in construction. Well, that's all knowledge. So we're all aware of the consequences of it. We're just not doing anything to tackle it. Sometimes in these podcasts, I get so exasperated with with the state of our uh, industry. It does baffle me sometimes where we are. Liam, from your perspective, I'm interested to understand for someone, I know that you were involved in construction, in parts of suppliers and different things, but that you really, your your mind is elsewhere in terms of you're a marketing person, you're in digital marketing. Your mind is, you're very absent minded. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. So you're, you came into the industry, you started a subcontracting or you took over your father's subcontracting organization. And I imagine you didn't have a huge amount of technical knowledge or huge amounts of detailed knowledge of construction and the process. How did you learn? Did you feel like you didn't know certain things well obviously there's different things to learn so you know you've got more technical things around the trade or the 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 actual service or product that you offer then you've got commercial things the trade side the product side was a lot easier because you can for example I, i was roofing so you can find books textbooks and things on roofing and you can learn that way and then you learn when you're dealing with manufacturers and suppliers, you know, you can learn and you learn through the tradesmen. Um, the commercial side was challenging as a subcontractor because there was nothing out there with regards to how small business is very secretive industry. Another big difference as well with other industries is, you know, if you're in, design or i mean when i say design i mean design not in you know the built environment graphic design whatever or many other businesses there will be groups online where you know subreddits whether it's discord uh there's all sorts of different online communication and things where you can connect with other people and share knowledge um with construction in particular I think I think architecture as well is a lot better for that. Architects are a lot better at that. But construction is very difficult to find activity online, uh, people sharing knowledge. And I don't know why that is. Gregor, what why do you you've identified that there is a problem with knowledge and it's very different to information. Have you got an opinion on why there is a stark difference in the availability and sharing of knowledge? It, there's a culture, there is a cultural thing. So, you know, if you look at, if you take, for example, coders, coders all share code. They couldn't write programs by themselves. They go online and they've got these repositories where they can borrow things that other people have have done. Whereas construction has this kind of, well, that's my IP attitude and I don't, I don't want to share it. So there is that. But I think we also have to recognise how far the industry has moved in the last 10 years or so. But I think the problem is that it's only it's only very good at doing one thing at a time. 
So it's been doing BIM, you know, that's been the thing, and that's everybody's focus, and lots of new people have been employed, and grants given out, and funding for BIM. And if you talk about anything else, you get looked at blankly, because that's not on the to-do list, that's not what we're doing at the moment. So I think information and knowledge, they weren't that far apart probably 10 or 15 years ago, but information has now leapt forward whereas knowledge is still basically one step on from the printing press. So we still deal with PDFs. PDFs are these dumb digital versions of paper documents. You know, you can print them out and put them on a shelf. And they're kind of like where CAD used to be. So CAD would just, they were digital versions of paper drawings. Well, that's where knowledge still is. So information has leapt forward and knowledge has been left behind, I think is the reason. So information has leapt forward to the 3D world from 2D, but we're still kind of in the 2D world with um, knowledge and PDFs. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Let's talk more about this, guys, but let's just take a quick break right now. Own the Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. Gregor, you mentioned that the whole industry has shifted towards BIM or is focused on BIM. And we've had a few conversations on this podcast on previous episodes, which kind of feels like to some degree, BIM hasn't moved on a huge amount. It sounds like you, that's not how you feel. Maybe we're in different, we're in the SME world, so maybe that's why we feel like that. But do you feel like BIM has significantly shifted in the last decade then? I think there's. I think the structure is in place. It's it's going to take a while for everybody to get on board with that, and that's that's understandable in some ways. So I, I think that the, the the important thing I think in the, the future of not just the construction industry but all industries is going to be about interoperability. Is making one thing talk to another thing easily, um, so that people can interact and share and collaborate and you know, swap data and all of that sort of thing, plug one system into another system. And that is, it's a lot of that's to do with standardization. And I think BIM has created that. So for me, it's not so much about the 3D modeling. You know, that's that's great, but it's really about the way that information has been standardized so that you can share it and you can collaborate on it. And I think that that is set up. So whether people have adopted it or not, it's set up now. And it's being done now with data as well. So the whole digital twins thing is is doing a similar thing for data. We just not done the knowledge, but okay. So, but would your view then be that you believe that the industry has a framework with BIM that can be rolled out now? It's just about trying to get that adoption effectively. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, and also recognizing that's only a bit of the jigsaw puzzle. You know, the fact that you've been on a on a Reddit course doesn't solve all of the industry's problems. You know, it's a bit of the industry that has been taken forward and that's a really great thing. 
but it isn't the answer to everything. We've got to not take our eyes off everything else that needs to be done. And I think the, you know, the Hackett review has been a great, it brought a good insight into the problems that the industry still has, you know, despite BIM, there's still a lot of people out there that don't know what they're doing and there's still a lot of catastrophic mistakes being made. Absolutely. So then let's take it back to your task force that you mentioned earlier. You're in this rabbit hole from that initial report that you did. You've started focusing on things and now you are a part of a task force. I actually think you're the chair of that task force. Can you tell us more about that and what your ambitions are for where it can take us? Yeah, so I started asking people if they recognised this problem as well or if it was just me. And of course, lots of people recognize it because they know that their companies are making mistakes that they shouldn't be. Um, even where they, you know, known mistakes, things that they all know about, still somebody will do it. Um, and that's costing them money and it's a safety issue and it's a productivity issue. So they all know it and they're all interested in doing something about it together because doing it um, individually would be really, there'd be duplication of effort and it would be, ineffective, you wouldn't be able to share or collaborate. You can imagine people having their own BIM systems. So we formed this task force and we did some survey work to begin with, just to confirm what we thought. And the kind of the shock that came out in the survey work was a third of practitioners freely admit they don't have access to the knowledge they need to do their job. And that's, <laughs> that's pretty alarming. What was I saying earlier about being mind, your mind boggles about construction. That is a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah. Gregor, what, what did I mean specifically when someone says in, in that context, in that environment, they don't have access to the knowledge they need to do their job? What do they actually mean by knowledge to do in, in that context? I, um, well, I guess I can give you. If I give you a practical example, so if you take something like the building regulations, and if you talk about approved document B, so that the file one that has been all over everything since Grenfell and the Hangar Review, approved document B, freely available, everybody can access it. It's pretty long, it's about 250 pages, the two documents, I think, but everybody can access it. But it refers to 100 other documents that you need to have access to, to be able to fully implement approved document B. And I think the, the approved documents altogether refer to about 850 other documents. And a lot of those you've got to pay for. So, so just one of those, so BS9999, which is the fire one, that's 400 pages long and it costs 400 pounds. So if you multiply that across everything, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of pages of stuff and probably 20, 30,000 pounds worth of knowledge scattered in all, all over the internet. The idea that SMEs can actually access all of this stuff and pay for it and have the time to read it and apply it and check it. I mean, they just don't. So even with something as fundamental as the approved documents, it's a big ask to think that everybody knows all of that stuff. I mean, they just couldn't. Maybe if you're Arab, you know, you can, you can have a specialist in everything, but an SME can't do that. Why do you have to buy that stuff? Well, that is a good question. It doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> you know, there's a debate to be had about that. I mean, if there are safety critical things that we think people should comply with, why are they being charged to access it? And in fact, there's a guy in America who um, says, 
And if a law isn't public, it isn't law. And what he's doing is he's taking building codes in America, which you have to pay for, and he's publishing them online for free. And then saying to the publishers, go ahead and see me. So he's he is getting really? sued. That's yeah, great. and so far he's winning his cases because the courts are agreeing that he's that he's in the right effectively. But is that <laughs> it's so frustrating this is because like you say, Liam, why on earth is that commercialized? Why can't you get hold of that if it's part of the fire regulations and you have disasters like Grenville happening? But how is this task force dealing with that or trying to deal with that, Gregor, to improve things? Well, so we've created a route map that takes us from where we are, which is done digital versions of paper documents, basically, through to knowledge that is smarter. And smart knowledge should be standardized so you can access it with a single tool. Um, you can query it with a single tool and filter it and manage it with a single tool. You should be able to access it easily, maybe with a single login. Um, and maybe, you know, the problem that we just talked about, maybe there should be project subscriptions. So if I'm running a project, instead of paying for a subscription to British Standards Institute for me, I pay for it for the project. So I know everybody on that project has got access to everything that they need. And ultimately, we want to be able to start pushing knowledge to people. So if you're a building services engineer working on the design of something or other for a hospital, we should know that at this stage of this project, these are the sorts of things you need to know. And we should be able to push them to them. If somebody's working on designing some steel work in a certain situation, we should be able to say to them, here are some known errors with the work that you're working on. Don't do it. So the first thing the task group has done is create a, a standard for knowledge, which is a standard way of describing construction knowledge that says this is what it is. This is what it's about. This is when it might be useful. And if everybody in the industry applied that, sort of like Uniclass for knowledge, if everybody in the industry just applied that, then our knowledge would immediately become interoperable and we'd be able to begin to integrate it with other things. So you might be able to integrate it with your BIM model, for example. So you click on a piece of steel and all the standards you need to know about that piece of steel pop up or all the research, all the all the news, all the innovations pop up. Makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's not technically difficult to do. It's just whether the industry exactly. has the will to actually do it. Yeah. And, and are you feeling uh, positive about it? I was going to say, other industries are doing similar things and using tools like Zapier. Yeah. Where they've got 30 different pieces of software pulling them all together. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, the legal profession, for example, so if lawyers use the long, wrong bit of legislation or they refer to some out-of-date case law or something, it would be an absolute catastrophe for them. So they have to be completely certain that they're using the right knowledge or they're, they're going to end up in terrible trouble. So they have things like LexisNexis, which is a piece of software that helps them make sure they're up to date and they're using the right things at the right time. And when you talk to people that develop that sort of software for legal professionals, and you, they say, well, it, there's nothing in the construction industry no, nothing, nothing at all. There's not one single thing. No, and they cannot believe they're totally aghast. Yeah, in high rise, you're building all these incredibly structurally amazing buildings and like so complex. The architecture is going is on fast forward, isn't it? And then you think, yeah, how do we not have that? 
in our industry. And like you say, technically, it's the data is there. It's just pulling it all together, isn't it? It doesn't seem like the most difficult of tasks. You also talked to me, uh, Gregor, before about knowledge meta tags. Is that something? Can you talk about that a bit more? Could you describe what they are? Yeah, so I mean, that's what the standard is basically. It's just a series of meta tags that you can attach to any piece of knowledge, anyone. So we've created the standard, it's freely available. And it, anybody who's creating a piece of knowledge can just attach these tags to the knowledge that they've created. And the first thing it does is just flags up and says, this is a piece of construction knowledge. Because at the moment, we don't even know what is construction knowledge and what isn't. We don't know what, what's out there. There's nobody in charge of it. So we don't know what's out there or where it is. So the first thing it just does is says, yeah, this is a piece of construction knowledge. And then it goes through a series of different tags that define it in more and more, more detail. And some of those uniclass tags, things we've adopted from uniclass so that knowledge becomes interoperable with BIM. So it's a really, really basic first step that is, is like with the early standardization of information for BIM, which just said, well, let's, let's all just at least describe it in the same way. And at least if we describe it in the same way, then rather than all using our own random invented systems, then that's, that's a good first step. So the standard exists. Now we've got to persuade people to adopt it. So then we'll have this knowledge bank of terms and of data effectively, which then forms the basis for us to be able to take the industry forward with the roadmap that you talked about and where we are and where you want us to be. How long is that? How do we get there? And when do we get there? Well, I think, I mean, you know, if you think the BIM, I think the BIM mandate was in the government construction strategy in 2011. So BIM has taken 10 years to get to here. And that's where the government mandate saying you have to adopt it. So knowledge with, at the moment, very little recognition from anybody and no BIM mandate. Technically, it could be done really quickly. What we're lacking is the industry will to make it happen. So I think that the next step of what we're doing, partly we're, we're going to work on a research project with Cambridge University to start develop, sorry, with um, Cardiff University to start developing some tools that show what's possible with knowledge. If we, if we begin to classify it all in the same way, what, what, how we can begin to manipulate it and combine it. But also we need to start a kind of an, a campaign of awareness. We need to start getting this up the, the agenda. So we're going to be doing a lot more out there promoting and writing about and talking about this thing. And not just me, hopefully, some of the other people in the task group getting out there and pushing this up the agenda and saying, look, it's not all just about BIM. The fact that we've been on BIM doesn't mean everything's solved. We need to do these other things as well. They're really important. Well, I think it's um, an incredible thing that you're pushing. And clearly there is such a, such a need for it, even going back to my 18-year-old self writing that glossary. Clearly, I was looking for something that didn't exist to try and support it. And obviously what you're doing is taking things much, much further. I think kudos to you, uh, Gregor, for going down this rabbit hole and trying to help us all. I'm sure all the listeners will be thinking... That's exactly how I feel about different components. I don't understand absolutely everything. And that conversation you're having with that lawyer is remarkable, isn't it? They can say, what? You don't have that in construction. And you do just think, God, it kind of just tells you where we're at, doesn't it? But it, hopefully with the passion that you're showing to remedy this, we can actually uh, 
really start to make some change. So uh, really very, very much kudos to you that you're, that you're doing this, Gregor. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, did you want to add anything? No, I think Gregor touched on it really. I think the biggest problem is cultural, where Gregor made a great example of uh, programmers and coders creating open source frameworks and sharing code and for, for nothing, uh, no financial gain. And I think that's what holds our industry back, where you've got, you know, people selling critical documents for the safety of lives and they will not let people have them for free or there is no law to make them free. Until that culture changes, it is a big uphill challenge because that is what that is. You know, if you change that outlook, that, that unlocks a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, it's about talking about it. It's about promoting it, isn't it? I guess this is one part of that puzzle. Everyone listening will be thinking the same and we've just got to uh, keep pushing for change haven't we? So um, very, very interesting, Gregor. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and starting to talk to us about it. I feel like we could talk for hours about what you actually, the, the granular detail of um, that fit for purpose analysis that you did and what you're doing now. And perhaps in the future, we will invite you back on and we can talk more. But thanks for coming on. We'll share Gregor's details and designing buildings details in the podcast description. And like I said, Gregor, thank you so much for, for coming in. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Gregor. Absolutely. And Curls, I will see you next week, my man. I'll see you next week, Paolo. Thanks so much. Have a good one.